0: Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And this is what is turning into a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about faith, food, fun, family, all sorts of things with a slightly irrever- irreverent uh, irreverent air. I don't think moving to bi-weekly is an intentional choice, is it? It's no, just it's just like, life. Yeah. Yep. We're home. Uh, we are in the United States of crazy. Um We're not under full lockdown, but everybody still thinks I think we should stay home and not do anything. I kind of want to stay home and not do anything.
1: Yeah, I don't actually mind it, especially because we're going into sub-zero temperatures. Yeah, nobody wants to go outside.
0: It snowed. Um, We were expecting snow, but I think it just caught everybody by surprise because it just dumped like six inches or something. (laughs) I
1: had a friend (laughs) ask on Facebook the other day what was something that you had not expected to be in short supply from covid and the list of answers that people gave were super interesting you know there's the there's going to be supply chain issues and the toilet paper shortage and i couldn't find flour on the shelves of grocery stores for months but then there's the unexpected weird fallout like bicycle tubes for your tires, yeah, right? That was a COVID right issue. Now. Sort of because factories were shut down that produced them and everyone's out mountain biking all summer because they're not taking bigger trips and they're blowing out their tires and they're buying what is in supply and the supply is not being restocked. And now you're finding that ski boots seem oh, to also be a yeah. COVID issue. Um, I'm wondering if, so with this this big snow that we had, big snow i mean it was kind of a big snow for yeah
0: yeah in october and it's it's crazy
1: not stopping for a while like it snowed a little bit today it melted off a little bit yesterday but now we're going into really cold for the next couple days like i think saturday the low is two below which is cold for montana in
0: october in october yeah for sure
1: um and so all these people are going out trying to find snow pants and snow gear for their kids and apparently costco and sam's club Shields, all the normal places, Walmart, Target, are completely out of snow boots, and normally Costco is selling the dregs of their kids' snow boots up to Christmas and snow gear, and I'm wondering if at least part of that is not... Just everyone, all of a sudden, being like, "Oh, my kids grew, and they don't fit stuff, and I wasn't thinking ahead. I wasn't thinking my kids would need boots." Although our kids have worn snow boots to trick or treat almost every year since we've lived in the this last house. couple of years
0: have been really cold. But there's also, I think. Um,
1: but I'm wondering if this the warm gear supply is at least in part a COVID issue.
0: Possibly. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the lead time is for Costco. Like, when do they put in their orders, and do they predict? March, you know, having things now that's, that said, that said, you know, I was down talking to Tim at the ski shop and he said he has, uh, he's got boots specifically. And then also other equipment skis. Like I was looking at a new pair of skis and he's like, if you want some, get them now. Cause there's only three left in the entire United States. It's like, what? You know, he's like, and I, I can't get them until like January, February. So he's like, but he's like, my boots are the same way. I've got orders of boots in everybody's sold out. All the manufacturers have no more boots. You cannot buy any more boots
1: Yeah,
0: from a manufacturer right now. And he's like, I'm not getting all of my orders until December or January. Like I've just backed up and he's like, everybody's expecting this glut of ski, used ski stuff on all the retailers and all the websites. He's like, but it's not there. There's some stuff here and there, but the whole like mishmash, the so manufacturers didn't make stuff. And then all he said, all of the summer retailers ran out of stuff in like May. And so they're like, we got to sell something. So they go order a bunch of ski stuff. And that wipes out the manufacturers who weren't expecting all of these extra orders. You know, so it's just like, it's just nuts. But it's been, um, it's been a bumpy couple of weeks. And I was thinking a lot about it. It's been bumpy between you and I. It's been bumpy uh, with the church. It's been bumpy with friends. It's just been, it's just been a bumpy couple of weeks. And I was thinking a lot about my personal what was, what was particularly, um, made me particularly uncomfortable, made me feel like things were bumpy and, um,
1: pretty much since we recorded the last podcast guys, if you didn't know this attention in it, um, <laughs> pretty much bumps from then on out.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think, you know, Molly, your life was bumpy outside of me and my life is bumpy outside of you, but yeah, it's just, it's just bumpy, you know? But I was thinking about why those things, and there were two major things in my world that made that felt really uncertain, and that was my normal stability points in life, because life can be so crazy. My normal points of stability are my church, it's fairly stable, at least my you know kind of just their overall existence, and then our marriage. Like that's pretty. We never, we rarely ever fight. So when we do, we're terrible at it. It's just the way things work. But, you know, so those two things were particularly unstable and I felt like, oh, I like not my life isn't weird right now. Um, but I, I want to, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I took it as an opportunity to say, okay, are we've got COVID, we've got all of these things. And this is my encouragement to listeners, I guess. You've got all these things that make you unstable. Is your stability unnecessarily placed in those things? Or should our stability and our foundation, well, it should be, should be found in Christ. And is that where the stability point is? So I took these moments as a chance to look at both things and address like, okay, I need to evaluate where my stability points are right now. Am I, am I putting too much, uh, too much of my life foundation in church or too much of my life foundation in my, you know, in my marriage and where it should be placed In Christ. Now, fortunately, I got really serious about some of my Bible study stuff, so forcing myself to take notes on thoughts and things like that, which has helped me retain. But then I got to thinking about like your comments with your friends who are who haven't left their house, and specifically political season, and all of the everybody (laughs) yesterday. Yesterday, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, the actor who played Luke Skywalker, and I don't know why his post like. Triggered triggered, triggered me. I hate using that term. Triggered me. But he posted, you know, get out and vote, people. Vote but like your life depends on it because it does. I know. Your life does not depend on who's in office. It doesn't. If it does, you've got a super weak base and you need to go get your stuff sorted out because that's, you're going to be living in turmoil for the rest of your life. If your life truly depended on it. You know, we should, obviously, um, be responsible and do our part, but these are just some things that have been happening since our life got kind of bumpy there in the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, I had this funny juxtaposition of news items or thought thought provoking pieces come across while the kids were all doing their thing this afternoon and I was doing dishes and cooking and tidying up generally. I was listening to Ali Stuckey's podcast and she was talking about Trump versus Biden in, um, on the climate. Every Monday for the last couple of weeks, she's been doing some sort of election key issue.
0: Mm. And
1: Trump versus Biden on the climate. And she was like, if you look at... So Biden is all in on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. like That is his platform. And a ton of the platform is, is essentially leveraging the climate issue into taking control, more control of our lives, more government control of right. our lives. So, for example, part of the climate, his climate platform is a guaranteed universal income. <laughs> what does that have to do? Well, this is what it has to do.
0: Yeah. What does it have to do with the climate? That's confusing. It,
1: well, because um, it's kind of like if you're sexist, you're also racist. Um, those two things just go together now. Um, climate and the economy go hand in hand. You, you're, you're ignorant and not forward thinking if you don't recognize that those two go hand in hand. And so one of the things that she said, you know, you're, I was thinking of this when you said vote, like your life depends on it. Because one of the parts of the platform is eliminating Something like 5 million jobs in the energy sector. (laughs) Well,
0: no wonder they need a universal income.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, In... Well, and then it's... um, So, in this platform, by 2050, every house has to meet certain green standards. Complete elimination of natural gas and nuclear, which is bizarre to me because nuclear is a zero emissions... Energy thing. I mean,
0: there's the waste issue, but they seem to have kind of solved for that a little bit.
1: Somewhat. Um, The
0: super deep lake in Idaho.
1: Yeah. Um, But, you know, you look at California and California has this like new cars aren't going to be able to have emissions by what it means, like 2025 or 2030. It's really soon. it's really soon. soon. Um, and California doesn't even create enough electricity to keep. I mean, they're having brownouts <laughs> every summer. And then All you right. consider that every new car on the road is going to be taking energy off that grid. They apparently parts of California import like eighty percent of their electricity from other states, from like Nevada and from neighboring states, because they can't even produce enough. So yeah, so then people anyway, won't drive. So, well, no, no,
0: this makes sense. So people won't drive. So then you know. So then they can't get to work.
1: But they so but, if they're
0: they, not, and then they can't have jobs if they, they can't work. So then they need the income exactly. To live, but they're also getting the priced, they're getting prices. priced
1: out of housing. <clears throat> they're getting priced out of housing because nobody can afford to retrofit. They're getting priced out of so then all these car dealers yeah. that sell car manufacturers, car dealers, they're all like that's part of the projected jobs list anyway. I didn't really want to talk politics tonight, but so in a sense, like so Allie was like, look, you know, it, on the one hand, have a firm foundation of. God is sovereign. God is in control. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Not whoever is president or whatever party wins the Senate and the House. But at the same time, this isn't just 5 million abstract jobs. These are 5 million people and their livelihoods and their families and the mental well-being that goes with having a steady job and predictability. And so, yes, don't for sure, don't vote like the, the hysterical fear mongering Don't vote <clears throat> like your life depends on it But on the other hand There are really big things at stake
0: yeah.
1: And the weight of Agreed. The way this country could go If things like the Green New Deal Get even a toe in the door Are very sobering to me But on the other hand And this isn't like Woo woo really exciting But I also Like the funny juxtaposition for me was like, the sobering fact of that, but then also the sobering fact that, um, an article that I did not admittedly read all of, I scanned and want to read more of, was positing that there are probably exponentially more Christians, and specifically Calvinistic Christians, in communist China than anybody has any idea about. And so we're looking at Probably the most oppressive government, well, besides North Korea, like probably the most oppressive government in the world right now that is systematically persecuting specific people groups has enforced, you know, sterilization and the one child policy and by their own failures, you know, I mean, estimates on how many people COVID killed in Wuhan is, I mean, satellite images showed funeral or um, crematoriums literally going 24 hours a day for weeks on end um, I mean way more than China is admitting but anyway so so if God is doing that in China and if he made the early church grow in ancient Rome like yes our our physical lives in some government situations like ancient Rome and like China do depend on. I mean, not that those guys voted for those governments, but do depend on the earthly power structure. But your the deep seated well-being of your soul does not depend on that, as evidenced by the joy and the faithfulness of Christians in modern day China, which is to me by what whenever I read about modern day China is a horrific place for human rights by any standard.
0: Yeah, I mean there are definitely parts of life that will change regardless of who's in who's in power. But again, we have to remember that our the the poli- the policies in America are not made unanimously by one guy sitting in Washington DC. That's what we don't want. That's what some people want. That's what I don't want because we have these checks and balances. So you know, there is some little bit hope in that. But I think even if there was no hope in that, if there was a total coup and everything's gone, gone to pot, you know what? We <laughs> this is not new. There's been crisis upheld this church crisis upheld the people throughout centuries since the dawn of time. And he's going to continue doing it regardless of what kind of environment we're living in now. I mean, there have been. Yeah, there have been way worse. So anyway, I'm. I voted, did my part. Y'all can step off. We're good. <laughs> it's still my ballot. Still yet. my ballot. Still sitting on my desk I upstairs. Know. It's
1: because I, it's because I. <laughs> want, we don't trust the post we office. We don't even <laughs> trust the post office. <laughs> I know, so I need to fill it out. I need.
0: Then... We're gonna take it and run.
1: <clears throat> Just throw it in the garbage. Although we don't, no. have any we don't have any signs in our yard. Let's,
0: I did learn who two of our electorates are for electoral college this morning i got to ask them how you do that. How do you become part of the Electoral College? I don't know how they... But they did. They know how. Two of our friends. You know them. I can't say who they are because I think they're going to be on a hit list at some point.
1: Huh. Interesting. Um, so we're 15 minutes in.
0: Mm-hmm. We're catching haven't... people up on the That's random life.
1: Um, I have one more random before we get into what I wanted to talk about today. Um, do you know how Rice Krispie Treats were invented?
0: Somebody left a bag of marshmallows laying on Rice Krispies and they melted and it became amazing.
1: No. That's actually a little bit more like how the chocolate chip cookie was invented. Do you know how that was invented? No. So some lady wanted to make chocolate cookies... But she didn't have, I can't remember, she didn't have cocoa powder or baking chocolate. She didn't really have time to melt it and mix it into the dough as you would with brownies. Mm -hmm. So she was like, I don't know, let's see what will happen if I chop up this chocolate and mix it in in chunks.
0: Are you sure?
1: I'm absolutely sure. That's how the chocolate chip cookie was invented. Rice Krispie Treats were invented. I don't believe anything anymore. Rice Krispie Treats were invented by a lady from Iowa whose name was Mildred Millie. And she, by all accounts, in an age where women—I don't even know if women could vote—but women weren't really supposed to work and whatnot. Um, she excelled in college and was recruited by the Kellogg Company. So she went to work for Kellogg in Battle Creek, Michigan. Which I feel like actually, I might have heard this. I would somewhere. drive through Battle Creek when I I flew home mm-hmm. when I went to Hillsdale. I would fly home out of um, Kalamazoo and park my car with, with friends in Kalamazoo because it was the same distance from Kalamazoo from Hillsdale to Detroit into Kalamazoo and it was like the Detroit airport versus smaller than the Billings airport. So, Mm -hmm. and same prices. So I would drive through battle Creek on my way to Kalamazoo and battle Creek is where Kellogg's is headquartered and Kellogg's like many places like Campbell's and whatnot had a test kitchen where they would develop recipes and then promote them to people to promote using their products so Millie, this is a great
0: recipe. Now, how do we make Millie, it last on the shelves for eight months?
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. And um, then they add all the. Crap it's the to same it. way that that green bean casserole was invented. That I was actually that invented one, yeah. in a test kitchen to get people to buy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look, like the during like World like War like the II era. crumbly onions are the the same company that makes the canned soup. Was
0: it post World War II that the green green casserole came out? The yeah, probably. So
1: so the Rice Krispies. Were invented And then Millie her, Apparently her first recipe Involved corn syrup and molasses And like cornflakes or something And then she eventually uh, Used marshmallows For the sticky substance And the frugality And simplicity of recipes of those days Just like a handful of ingredients Right? Marshmallows, mm-hmm. butter Or margarine in those days um, And the cereal And apparently She she and some other gal created this recipe in like the mid 1930s, and it has been on the Rice Krispies cereal box ever since.
0: That's because they're amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, since Lily, I'm gonna tell Lily that butter I have makes some sort everything of story better. About that, um, when she makes you your giant batch of them for your hunting tomorrow. Um. So what I wanted to talk about today was uh just books that we have been enjoying reading and you loved this anthony ryan series so much
0: oh i didn't love it love it until um he actually released a whole different series with the same character and then it just became outrageously amazing well you were listening
1: to it on audible Uh And ended up buying special editions.
0: As yeah, of? after I listened, no, after I listened to everything on Audible, I've got a, I've got, the bookshelf out there has a section of books. When I was twelve, I was introduced to a book called *The Paradise War*. It's part; it's the first in the *Song of Albion* series a trilogy, written by Stephen Lawhead. And he is—he's uh, on record as being a believer. He lives in in um, the U.K. He's, no, he might be up in the Isles somewhere. I think he's Irish. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He teaches at Oxford, so he's British. Um, but he writes primarily fantasy, very allegorical, deeply allegorical. This series was deeply allegor- allegorical with uh, the Christian walk, uh, <clears throat> having a savior um, that sacrifices himself for people kind of a savior god king um anyway i've collected all of his books over the years one of my favorite series by him is actually well my favorite book by him is byzantium but he's got a couple on the crusades um and then uh he's got a whole series on rob uh, the trilogy on robin hood robin hood talk and a few others so anyway this
1: he's from nebraska i think no he, no? he he teaches in the UK.
0: Oh, okay. Thank you. That there we go. So I've UK got i I've got a American whole writer. I've got a whole bookshelf of his stuff and hardback. So I've collected the hardbacks and I've got a few other hardbacks over over there that I like and I just I, I like the hardbacks. So um that said when I read the last book by Anthony Ryan in this series, I it was blew my mind so much I had to go buy all five books, but they have to be the same generation books. So I've got to have the same the same release, the same cover release, and I think I've got one. I think it's the first, the first edition uh, hardbacks. Uh, these might actually have been done in. He's British too. These might actually have been done in. This is the U.S. version, but anyway. So I interrupted you. You, well, were, making, no, you were. saying... no, I just um, they're not special editions. They're just. You you hardbacks.
1: had a couple of moments listening to the audiobook where you of these Anthony Ryan books uh-huh. where. You were like, if he's not a believer, he's channeling that <laughs> God-shaped vacuum oh, man. in our hearts so hard; it's hard to believe he's not a believer.
0: Yes, yes. So this the the story. Um, I picked up the first one. I think on Audible. I've listened to them all on Audible. Um, it, I became a huge fan of Stephen Brand, the narrator, but. Um, I picked the first one kind of at random. Um, it sounded mostly interesting. I was kind of in the mood for a fantasy and looking for a new kind of series or something that I could kind of dive into. And, um, it's called The Black Song. It's his first book in a three-book series, a Raven's Blade um, novel. And it's based around the character of Valen al a young boy who gets deposited at the house of the Sixth Order. He lives in a world where there are six orders and they keep the faith and the faith is kind of a nebulous religion. And there's a lot of different religions in the book and they all kind of vie for power. Anybody who's not of the faith is a, den- a denier, a heretic, etc. cetera. Um, and there's a whole order that's does nothing but basically hunt down and kill deniers. So, um, it's a, it's a graphic book. It's definitely an adult novel. Um, <clears throat> But anyway, so he, he by the end of the first, um, by the end of the first three books, he's vanquished a massive, massive evil. Um, and kind of the thread through the whole book is this, is this, um, is a wolf. A wolf follows him. A wolf will occasionally rescue him, comes out of nowhere, disappears again. Anyway, he denies the faith at the end of the first book. He's like, I this is this is this whole this whole thing is a crock it's it's very analogous to me of the old catholic church in the medieval period before the reformation kind of split off you know they were they were using uh they were kings were using the faith to garner more money more power you know catholicism was you know lining their pockets with confession money and praying for praying for the dead and you know all that stuff so it's kind of analogous to that. So he ends up leaving this faith, and um, but he's he's he seems to be called to defend against a massive evil in this book, and so he defends this massive evil. So moving on, um, I'll I'll leave that there. So kind of those those two threads are kind of going through the book. So then I get to the next. So then uh, Ryan releases uh, a Raven's Shadow um, two book series same character takes place after the third one and um i'm holding the the fifth one right now and again it's another it's another great it's another great evil but it's tied to the evil of the first one so it's the same we're talking the same model the same pliths, the same stones where you know they garner they give people like supernatural powers and a few other things but the wolf calls him again, and he's like, oh, "I, I have like, I have to go, you know, follow this wolf." And he's actually got, um, in the first book, he's got the whole kind of the whole thing is this song he's been given. It's called the Blood Song, and it basically gives him some guidance and intuition. Anyway, he loses it, and the one he gets back is is a lot darker. So it's the last book is a lot more violent. Anyway, long story short, the villain in the last book. Has has essentially put his hand on the stone um, and garnered his own song, and is is a little bit the antithesis of of the hero in the book Valen, um, and so he goes on a rampage because he starts he thinks he's God, and uh, as you work through the as as I started working through the book, all the threads from the first three books started to coming together a little bit, and it, it kind of appears. Um, it goes into a little bit more detail, and I'll actually the two quotes that really stood out to me um, towards the end of the book. Valen is talking with um, with a woman who served under a, a princess that has been around for generations. Just uh, she's got her own gift of long life or something like that, and um, uh, her name is the Jade, uh, the Jade Princess, and she said. Um, where was it at? I just, I had it marked. <laughs> um, <clears throat> she's talking to Valen. She says, um, But she did know two important facts, perhaps the most precious knowledge she had acquired in all her many, many years. She leaned forward, expression intent, speaking with simple, unvarnished honesty. The tiger wishes us harm. The wolf wishes to prevent that harm. So it has ever been. So far as any can tell, it will ever be, so and so the the tiger becomes the opposite of the wolf, and the villain in this particular book is being guided by this tiger, and the tiger seeks to consume and just destroy, and uh, the wolf is what Valen represents. So obviously they clash at the end of the book. So as we get to the very as we get closer to the end, um, <clears throat> through a variety of circumstances, they are essentially. Bringing about... he and his cohort... are bringing... the wolf... they don't know what's going to happen... but they they feel like... they have an idea what the... there's... it's a long story... but they've got this dust, right? So they bring this wolf into existence... Um, and right before that happens... as they join hands... and they're all kind of like... you know... the, the powers... that he has... long story... anyway... What happens here the, uh, is right before he puts his hand into the dust, he said, uh, you know, they all, they all grasp hands and I'll, I'll just read this section right here. It makes a little more sense. With the chain complete, the river of strength began to flow and Valen shuddered as it filled him, drowning out the black song, but also bringing with it a dangerously seductive perception of infinite potential. All the varied gifts of those he touched, merging and blossoming within him, birthed a near-irresistible impression of invulnerability. What need had he of mere dust when power like this was in his grasp? With this he could crush the dark blade like a bug, render his army to shreds, stride across the sea to the merchant realms and take them, make himself a king above all kings, no longer obliged to suffer their jealousies and petty games. Be more than a king, be a god the word emerged from between his gritted teeth as a furious hiss accompanied by a surge of self-disgust only partially mitigated by realization this is what kelbrand felt when he touched the stone all the gifted souls of the stalhaus priests had fed to the tiger over so many years a huge reservoir of power that's what the tigers that was the tiger's true gift the delusion of godhood made real And I was just like, oh, the whole thing, he's being deceived. The villain, the true villain, is an eternal spirit deceiving, seeking to harm, and seeking to make people believe that they're gods. Mm. And he's the opposite. And I was like, boom, mind blown, right there, that's it, mind Mm. blown. So, um, yeah, I, I absolutely love the book. It's Again, it's not the series... He captured me originally. I mean, Stephen Brand's a great narrator, but he captured me originally with his command of just language. He's an incredibly good writer. Like, he just, it flows. It doesn't feel stilted. It feels bereft, but very, um, very detail-oriented, but not overly wordy, like trying to read a Charles Dickens novel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not for paragraphs. It's description. It's like, oh, shoot me now. Or a the characters, novelist. you know, his love interest in the book. He's always, you know, he's always Valen is always sacrificing what he wants to do and those he loves to follow this this call the song is guiding him to follow the wolf. And he's always losing his friends. Like he's he's sacrificing his relationships, his loves, all this stuff. And um his his this is there's a really cool storytelling ju- um, uh, tool he uses here. Valen's whole gift is basically death right so he's an incredibly great swordsman he's renowned through the world as he's practically invincible and the song you know it just he's he's done nothing but kill since he was a kid and he was trained to kill like that's his hmm. whole thing his love interest is from the fifth or the house of the fifth order and they're the order of healing and so her gift, she ends up ends up touching the stone through throughout the story, and her gift actually becomes the ability to take other people's uh, other people's injuries hmm. and heal them completely. But it, it taxes her, and so <laughs> you've got this juxtaposition of and you know she's been all she's been done was healing and fix and medical and all that stuff since she was a little girl. And so you've got these two these two people who are in love. One is is pure death and one is pure life and you know, they clash obviously throughout, but, um, I found that, you know, I just, I found that juxtaposition very, very interesting, that balance there. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, in some
1: ways though, that juxtaposition represents God's mercy and his wrath. Like both of those characters are doing that for a higher good and a sacrifice of themselves, which is the Christ. Like that's the two sides, the yin and the yang of who Christ Mm -hmm. is, is mercy and wrath.
0: Right. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's just some the those points and some of the overall tone and storyline is just feels very, um, even if he didn't intend to, which I'm cynic enough to be like, everybody hates Christianity. Right. Um, Because he's not very, he doesn't like religion at all. But there's a there's kind of this tone to everything he writes. It's like uh, you're either really freaking brilliant or like you just have an innate sense for the way the redemption, world, the works. way redemption works and the way redemption happens. And and, you know, but it's kind of his just talk of religions. There's a lot of religions in there. And, you know, there's a. There's definitely a true and a false one, and this and this true one doesn't necessarily have an embodied followers or believers, but it's certainly over everything else, and there's nothing else really higher. Have
1: you that. you haven't got Have you finished the series on Audible?
0: Yeah, I'm, that's the last one. In okay, that, and yeah. so
1: you're finished with it. Mm-hmm. What are you going to read at night now?
0: Oh no no I finished it on Audible, but now I'm reading through it. I'm in this. I started the second book. I'm reading through oh, them all on hardcover now. Number... Oh, <laughs> so, so I got all you, the I got all the hardcovers in.
1: Forwarded for this into that. Oh, month.
0: I've read that. I've read the whole series on Audible already. So my reading at night when I go to bed is I'm going through the series a second time. But this time I'm actually reading the books okay. rather than listening to it on Audible. Okay. He's written. Second, he's written some right. other really cool stuff. Um, he's got a Dragon memoriam. Dragon Memoria, Draconis Memoria. Series that takes place in a different world with different characters, and um, he's got he, it's all kind of centered around drakes and a white drake that kind of rules and controls all. Um, and it's they have to it's a dragon and they have to kind of defeat it. But oh, the other the other um note about this book, um, very similar to real life, um, the villains in the book. The evil magic in the book, the dark magic in the book, is very powerful, very visceral, and very upfront. Uh, The good in the world that's being done is very behind the scenes, doesn't always win, Mm -hmm. and is a lot more um, under the table. It's not quite as attractive. In the end, ultimately wins. But that that seemed very analogous to real life to me to you mm-hmm. know it's all sin is always you know the way of satan the way of the devil is always way more appealing always way more in your face always easier to get to always easier to do seems
1: like a win look at the seems Psalms. like a
0: win win like you know he's always
1: like god yeah. why do the bad people prosper right um so i am not going to go into my book right now because i want to ask another question about your book and we can do my book next time <laughs> uh no i just i don't want to
0: okay. make this
1: a super long episode but Fair. um, I, I wonder, you know, as you were talking about the good versus evil and he's not a believer, it's a very modern way of looking at the world. And again, I was so I was listening to another Allie Stuckey podcast today and she was interviewing John Cooper of Skillet, mm-hmm. the Christian rock band. And I sent that to you now because I thought you, you actually would enjoy listening to it. I want to listen to it. He's a super enthusiastic person. I mean, not, like, obnoxious enthusiastic, mm-hmm. but he's just, he's fun to listen to because he's, enthusiastic isn't right word, passionate. He is a student of the world as it exists right now, and he became that way because um, he seems like he's our vintage, and his description of... He
0: of I think he's a little older than... We are, but not by much. Yeah, I
1: mean, his, So his description of watching pastors that he admired growing up and his peers falling away from the faith uh, in... I'm trying to remember what vintage he was talking about then. It seemed like the early 2000s, mid-2000s, and he was like, you know, so I just started trying to figure out, like, what is going on with these people? And he was like, I think it was because all these pastors that we grew up under wanted to be so relevant, they sacrificed truth for the sake mm. of relevance. And so this whole generation grew up without a sense of absolute without a, a bedrock foundation. And uh it just it made me start thinking, and again, more podcast listening. Apparently I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately but the no it, it made me think of descriptions of why the church has gone woke and why pastors have bought into so much of the the secular worldview right now and um, and it's a shift from modernism to postmodernism, and postmodernism says there isn't right or wrong it's my truth or your truth and so even um, you know to say that two plus two equals four is, to say that's an absolute truth claim is an imperialistic, colonialistic, white, racist statement. That's your truth. You can't impose your truth on me. And we say, no, that's actually a reflection of God's unchanging character, that God made the world to function in a certain way. And so when you're rejecting two plus two equals four, you're actually rejecting the way that God created the world. So that's 2 plus 2 equals 4 is not just a mathematical statement. In our world, it's also a shockingly theological statement. And that, that's actually Ali Stuckey's words, not mine. But as I'm listening to you talk about this, Anthony Ryan, and that there's this stark good and evil, and it's one of the reasons that I actually, you know, I just saw on a Christian forum on Facebook... The Harry Potter debate, again... It still exists. But, <laughs> you know, like... like People like I, you know... I'm okay with the magic in Tolkien and in Lewis... But I'm uncomfortable with it in Harry Potter. You know what? Oh
0: my
1: gosh. I... I want my kids to fall in love with the world of Harry Potter... Because it's very clear that there's good and evil. And it's very clear what good and evil want to accomplish. And like you say in Anthony Ryan... It's hard to tell sometimes who's, you know, I mean, spoiler alert, one of the bad guys all the way through doesn't turn out to be quite so bad. And um, some of the bad, seemingly bad things that happen are maybe, you know, when when the White Wizard and Tolkien and (laughs) other fiction die, it's it's a self sacrifice for the greater good and it's not as bad as it seems. Yeah. And but it's it's in the service of a greater good because the good the love that is compelling the good people is going to take is going to win. Love wins. Hashtag love wins. Um because that's the deep desire of our hearts. God created us with this deep desire to see right win and to see the good guy win and to see evil actually be punished because we have a deep sense in our hearts that injustice should be righted and that evil should be punished and i have the i you know all good movies all good works of fiction that are actually compelling and that people fall in love with and watch over and over follow that plot line
0: you would and love follow
1: that worldview and so you know like i'm looking at anthony ryan i'm like he is he's a thoroughly he may not be christian but he has a judeo-christian worldview and a thoroughly modern in the sense that where you know that modern has not yet in the postmodern rejected this sense of right and wrong and you know even in our postmodern world like Indie movies are sort of compelling and interesting when they have these weird twists at the end and they don't resolve, but they're not, they're not eternally, you know, they're not going to call you back. Like our hearts long for resolution and resolution in which right wins.
0: Yeah. Um, I forgot what I was going to say.
1: You said I would love, you started to say I would love something.
0: What were we talking about?
1: The the, the plot, like a good story.
0: Oh, you would love, I just started listening to, um, (laughs) on recommendations from three different people, I just started listening to Steve Taylor's closing keynote at Hutchmoot, um, Andrew Peterson's conference. And you'd mentioned he steps on some toes, and he does. Um, He didn't step on any of my toes, but I'm more of, creative bent anyway so it didn't really bother me a whole lot but he talks about that he compares a particular popular quote-unquote christian football movie where everything gets tidied up wraps up with a bow in the end and leaves you know it's wonderful you know everybody cries but um and then he compares another one that nobody's ever heard of which you know the guy becomes a believer and life still doesn't get any better and he still wrestles with it and wrestles with it and wrestles with it he said which one's which one's true and which one's a lie you know, does this convey truth or does this convey a lie? And so I, he would, he, he stepped all over Thomas Kincaid. <laughs> he does stepped he all actually, over.
1: But, but to me, I think they both communicate some element of truth. I haven't listened to his talk.
0: I, yeah, he's a little more black and white in his, and I don't disagree with him, but I don't a hundred percent agree with him, but I, he didn't step on any of my toes. Um, But that said, that's kind of exactly what you're talking about. You know, what is, what, what are you left with as a reflection of, you know, as a reflection of eternity, as a reflection of right and wrong, as a reflection of good versus evil versus, you know, something that doesn't have any sort of compelling.
1: Well, so to put this in the context of scripture, the Bible is not a complete story if it ends in the book of what's the last book of the old testament <laughs> i'm totally blanking <laughs> i could start in the genesis and sing the slugs and bugs song to get to there but
0: Malachi so, isn't it
1: zachariah malachi so, yeah no. Yeah. Anyway, um, it does. You can Google that while I'm talking. Jeez. <laughs> guys, we're recording this at 10:30. You
0: guys, night. my wife. I have two Bible degrees, and my wife has a master's. I could start in with Divinity, Genesis and
1: get to it.
0: And we can't remember right off. It's the top
1: Zachariah of and and that's the yeah. Old Testament. Sing it again. <laughs> Sing it, and then I can start at the beginning. And Speaking get to of the...
0: Andrew Peterson and anyway, all his
1: friends. Um, but um, so. Th- th- the the story doesn't resolve there right the story resolves at the that revelation where the king comes back and sets everything right and everything that has been upside down is right side up again and all evil is banished and so the the entire arc of history is in a sense encapsulated in the story of the football player that everything turns out okay for, you know? And so I'm, what I'm saying is it's gets not a new
0: truck, gets his wife back, gets his,
1: yeah, you know, it's a I mean, country song, it, <laughs> is that a country song played backwards? Yeah.
0: He gets his um, wife back, his dog back, um, his car back.
1: <laughs> I, no. So, I mean, I'm, I think that both of them are, I have to listen to the talk now, but I think in a sense, both of them are true and both of them are good storytelling because they both tell a part of the human experience and the longing within our hearts. Yes. You know, so so the football player who becomes a believer and nothing changes and nothing gets better, that's, he's living Psalm 89. You know, darkness is my closest friend. The end of the story. You know, but even for King David, that's the end of the chapter. You know, you can read that Psalm and stay there, or you can read that Psalm in the larger arc where David, in retrospect, is called a man after God's own heart, even for being a pretty significant turd for a lot of his life, right? Um, And that's him being caught up in in the arc of redemptive history and being redeemed by the Savior that he never actually got to see but was living by faith in experiencing. And so we, in a sense, are maybe spurred on to live by faith when we experience the resolution of stories, the neat, tidy ending. So, you know, even you know, how long are each of the Lord of the Rings movies? They're like hours and hours each. So then by the time you get to the end it's like what, what
0: nine together. no,
1: I mean, but it's like nine hours of movie <laughs> nine, right. ten hours of movie watching, right? But you have to have these little moments of resolution at the end of each three hour chunk. Well, or yeah, you don't totally. want to come back for it. <laughs> but so you get these little moments of resolution Knowing that you know the end of the story. You know, I keep telling my kids whenever they get nervous in a movie, it's like, this is a kid's movie. It ends happy. <laughs> you know, like our lives are not a kid's movie, but, you know, this is why Christians in China can persevere in the faith because they have the end of the story. They have the book of Revelation in the Bibles that have been smuggled into them. And so, anyway, that's a really long way. Of saying that I, your description of the Anthony Ryan series, rings true to me with what I believe is embedded in our hearts in a desire for the stories mm-hmm. that we are told. You know, so good storytelling speaks to the desires of our heart, and the longing of our heart is for a story that resolves, and we're. Wrongs are made right.
0: You know, and you're still... There's still an element of mystery to it, though. Like, you're left wondering why... Why does God work the way he works? Why does do things still feel so dark and bleak? Why, when things have sort of worked out, I still struggle with my own demons? Why, you know, is... Like, and I think that's where my biggest, you know, not to go off on another tangent, but that's where my biggest frustration, my biggest agreement with Steve Taylor and my biggest frustration with bad art lies is, you know, the light is only going to be as bright as the darkness is shining into. So if you have a world that's not dark, if you have a sterilized, clean world, there's nothing to be rescued from and it's also for me it's not reflective of my daily walk. Mm-hmm. My daily walk is far more reflective of what Anthony Ryan is writing, his world. Mm-hmm. You know, like troubled characters that that are in lives they don't really want or have things they struggle with that they don't want to have but are still trying to do the right thing. They're losing, they always feel like they're losing. And yet they still feel called and they sacrifice their friends. Like, yeah, that's, that feels a lot more like a Christian walk to me than, you know.
1: I became, I, I prayed the Jesus prayer and everything got good, got better. Yeah,
0: exactly. It doesn't. So anyway, I, that's that's not my, that's not me. I'm sure people want to see that because it makes them feel good. But I, that's, yeah, no.
1: Yeah, I do agree with that. A hundred percent. And. If that's anyway. the point of it, I agree. But I also, you know, it it doesn't make for a compelling story to end in the struggle. My point is because mm. our hearts desire good resol- a, a happy ending. Our hearts desire well, I think we have, for the story to resolve.
0: Even within our, our struggle, we have a resolution. We have a future hope of that resolution in the right. current struggle. And
1: also if you're if you're writing the story of your own life
0: mm-hmm.
1: you even even if you die a sad death where you're still mired in sin or you know, I mean, not to be overly morbid, but look at how many people have died with COVID in hospitals with loved ones praying for them and you know, I mean, that doesn't resolve right that's Mm -hmm. not a good ending to that's not a story that's going to sell um the story but that's not the end of if that person is in christ that's not the end of that person's story and so we we have this long tail to the story or the big pause (laughs) for for the rest of the story right um that you know not everybody gets an individual movie made of their lives but Um, we know that our story will eventually resolve if we have the faith to live and hope that it will.
0: It's true. I will put the links, our, uh, Amazon associate, apparently we still have our associates account. (laughs) Um, I'll put the links to the books, um, on Amazon in the show notes and I'll post them up on the webpage, and you can go buy them. I recommend it. I recommend listening to them. I really recommend listening to them on audiobook. Um, but also, if you own the copies. There's something really nice about having a really nice hardcover book that you actually mm-hmm. really in, like, are proud to own.
1: I yeah. like Audible, but I really like
0: actually reading books. Yes. I do, too, so I'm going back and reading them again. But, I mean, Stephen Brand is like my new favorite editor but i also think like if maybe if i didn't hear Stephen brand's voice on a series i didn't like maybe i wouldn't have liked him because mm. i feel like i feel the same way about jefferson mays who narrated the entire expanse uh novel series the one that's on amazon mm-hmm. There's like nine books in that series he, he narrated all of them um and he's i love him as a narrator now but i also associate him with a series that i like for the record that series started out really bad like the writing was atrocious not like Ryan Ryan's freaking he's a master wordsmith so that said um I'll put the sh- notes we'll, You should also uh, put the
1: link to the Hutchmoot
0: Yes I'll put the link to the Hutchmoot which it's, you have to
1: buy before November 15th I think they actually close access to everything November 15th but if you buy it you get access to their whole virtual conference between now and then which would include the steven Taylor talk that you referenced just now
0: yes the one that ruffled feathers he's really funny but he ruffled. he's always ruffled feathers like i remember when he came out with i want to be a clone um and some of the other stuff he was writing he was writing stuff that had most people scratching their heads like i don't hear any i don't hear him actually mention jesus i'm so confused right now um so he's always thought differently so that said um if you like us Um, please share us with your friends I want to give a huge shout out to all of the people that email us text us or post up on a social media platform usually Instagram um, thanking us for the show or sending us comments or engaging with us on it it's super fun um, and we hope to continue hearing from you do that so also oh we have people are, are weird and hard swag in the store so go get some Nobody's bought anything yet. We're very bad product hustlers. We're just not (laughs) good.
1: We haven't even bought any for ourselves. No,
0: no. We want to buy some mugs for the pastors. I think we should have a mug in everybody's office at the church because that's their life right now.
1: Do you think we could sneak one into the little shelf behind the pulpit on a Sunday without them noticing? So they get up to start preaching and they have a people are weird and hard Yes, (laughs) I could totally do that.
0: (laughs) That would be hysterical
1: That might mess up their their jam
0: I don't know it We might would be... think
1: it was funny And they'd yeah. have trouble finishing a sermon We they'd could sell them What we seriously. should
0: do is We should actually buy buy like a box And sell like the mugs In the church bookstore <laughs>
1: <laughs> People are weird and hard People are weird and hard we have to add the Jesus juke though The people are weird and hard But Jesus still loves them
0: Yeah we could Dude, oh, we. since we're on the topic of books when we talk about yours we, we sh- will not have a show next week I'm sorry I'll be traveling but we should bring up the ultimate Jesus juke book and I you know
1: and then we'll add a link to it on Amazon so every oh kid gosh, buddy can guys, buy it for their little girl or their uh, little boy
0: oh you guys it is so
1: okay so um, bad. we're going to close this so I can go to bed Okay. but um But tune in soon, as soon as you can, as soon as we talk about this next time for the ultimate Jesus Juke book.
0: The ultimate Jesus Juke book. (laughs) Hilarious. Yes, two weeks, uh, a week after next, I think. Um, I don't know. It's hunting season, so things are getting a little bit weird. That said, I'm JR. I'm Molly. And you guys are awesome. Have a good uh, week.